You're listening to the Viral Molly Podcast Podcast. Now here's your host, Rob, on the mic. Good day, everyone. Back on the Volleyball Volley Podcast, a continued conversation from uh, VolleyballMag.com's College Volleyball Weekly or Weekly Roundup, whatever you want to call it. But we are talking about an incident that happened at the USC Pepperdine match night two after USC won three, one over. Really Waves. right into it. <laughs> really right into it. Pepperdine Waves and yeah. great matches. I mean, I always want to direct the attention to the players because we saw excellent play. Simon Gallus, 28 kills, two errors, 578. Lucas Frost ran their middle nine kills, zero errors off 11 attempts, hitting 818. You still have Jacob Steele uh, for the, the waves as uh, well as uh, Jalen, who has had a great night too. So, um, and Spencer yeah. was repping on night two. So yeah, hats off to the play that we saw between these two matches. They're going to be at it come MPSF tournament time. But uh, yeah, so what, what matches caught your eye this week? And we'll start with you, Jay. Been a little quiet this week. I, well, I'm quiet because you yeah, know hey, it's called for me to be fired about every other sentence. What the quiet are you talking about right now? You know I mean? <laughs> I'm going to talk about the new hot team of the week, Purdue Fort Wayne, and you know the Chilean player everybody's talking about. Now he's getting into his rhythm, and now he's finding some things. Purdue Fort Wayne is going to be a team that down the line you're going to see teams are not going to want to face them. Uh, you know, they've, they've got their opposite who's doing some good things. They've got the Chilean kid. Um, they got a couple Vicente of them. Ibarra. <laughs> yeah. When at least you, at, le- at least, you know, where he's from versus, you know, the kid from Ohio state changed countries every other week. Yeah. The Polish kid from Ohio state, you know, who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but no, Purdue Fort Wayne's a new hot team and that's fun. I'm glad to see that rocks getting a little love and his team's playing well. And you know, the Miva, that's a, that's going to be a hotly contested conference uh, championship for sure so uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm surprised I'm just saying I like what you're doing Rock I hope you're having a good rest of the year all right Dave thoughts uh yeah so there were there were a few things that caught my eye uh we already talked about uh GCU but by the way me and me and my wife were watching that match as we were waiting to go to dinner and she all of a sudden saw Sean Olmstead in his beautiful mustache and she goes hey he looks like Ted Lasso and so I told Sean that ah. yesterday. <laughs> so if somebody wants to send Sean the believe sign, you know, cause he's, he's having to do a, a nice Ted Lasso impression right now and, and keep his boys fighting hard, which he's doing a good job, but. Hey, and it works uh, out because yeah. he can get khakis and they're sponsored by Nike. It's a Nike oh school. man. <laughs> yeah. It would, he should just dress as Ted Lasso from here on out. It's great. Um, so that match, I mean, McKendry beating Loyola uh, was a good one. Um, and then them being at down 0-2 and almost coming back and winning five uh, at Purdue Fort Wayne. So um, those stood out to me. Uh, Long Beach State beating Stanford. What was more impressive was uh, Nikolov from the service line. I think he had five straight aces at one point. Um, If you go back to our first episode, I was trying to tell people that that kid's good. I'm glad that he has backed me up uh, and continues to prove he's good. And then Northridge beating Stanford the next night. Uh, and getting Wetter back. Wetter hadn't played. Um, he's a big part of their offense, obviously. He hits for a high efficiency, and they get him a lot of balls. So uh, winning in four against Stanford, a good a team that's, you know, pretty good, that's played good volleyball. And it'll be interesting to see with however many guys, I think they have 12 guys on the roster, maybe 13 guys, um, 
how does Stanford hold up as the season keeps going? Uh, keeping away from injuries and anytime you're that thin, you know, there's, there's a few things that could happen and all of a sudden it goes downhill. Yep. Uh, Daniel Wetter, one of the best handles in social media. Wetter is better. <laughs> Hi. Uh, we're keeping, Rob, we're keeping the show clean here. What are you doing? I already what? accidentally crossed. Yeah. Northridge is better. I, I'm just saying, with Wetter, they're yeah. better. I, I mean, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, we've jumped the shark officially, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Dan, thoughts on last week? I don't know. They covered, they certainly covered a lot. And again, I'll go with Jay and compliment the rock and his group and, uh, you know, certainly uh, beating us at our place and then uh, beating McHenry at home, two great wins for that program. And as the Miva be certainly becomes uh, a gauntlet in terms of, you know, we talked about, so I've been, what, this is my 18th year. Hopefully I have 19. Wow. <laughs> <18. laughs> But um, so it was my 18th year, and it's like I always felt like our conference was like a three, four team race usually. And a lot of years, you have one or two teams kind of separate themselves. Um, but I don't think that's the case this year. I think you saw Lindenwood playing some good volleyball, and uh, I think there's you know five, six teams that you get to the conference tournament that could be in a pretty good spot to compete uh, for that conference tournament. Uh, and so, which is fun. It's fun to see that. Um, I think outside of our conference, we've already kind of hit on a little bit. I thought Northridge beating Stanford was a good win for Northridge. They haven't played a ton of matches. Uh, if we slide over to the SIAC central state got their first win. So that was really good for them. I think they played, that was their 11th match. Uh, they finally got win number one. So uh, I know Ray's working with that group and trying to get those guys better. Uh, and then you're kind of seeing, you know, Conference Carolina. I think it's Mount Olive and North Greenville. We're both sitting about five and one uh, overall. Uh, and use the top of that conference because that was on my notes because everyone was watching Mount Olive and Belmont Abbey early on. And here, NGUs, I think they're, they've only got one loss in conference. Yeah. Nine and Fred, one. Fred's done a nice job with that group and they're competing and got some nice wins. And so, uh, so yeah, I think uh, uh, outside of that, so I have. Yep. Uh, I got one thing. How has <laughs> this topic not been discussed? Fort Valley State driving home from matches uh, and their bus flip, which that's is right. crazy. And thankfully, nobody was was severely injured. But that's gnarly. I can't believe that that wasn't talked about. So I talked a little bit with Larry last week about it. And he said, yeah, it was a pretty gnarly situation. He didn't go into too much depth with me at the moment. But I'm just glad that everybody's okay. That's, you know, a lot of us are on the road at this time of year. And I know the guys out West maybe don't deal with the weather that we do, but holy smokes, man, there's some dicey days that our bus drivers, you know, do a great job of keeping us safe. And and I don't necessarily think it was the bus driver's fault here. I just think it might've been the weather, but I'm just glad that everybody's okay. Yeah. Thank goodness uh, for, for the safety. I saw that tweet come out. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And thankful to hear there are no injuries, no serious injuries. So Um, back in conference play, we got the EIVA action, which I wanted to point. Penn State is definitely still at the top, but NJIT gave them a run this last week. Five-setter, high drama. Wildman comes back with two aces. Talk about being man of the moment. But uh, what do you think? NJIT, can they upset the cart? Should we ask just Jay, or should we go to the other opinions first and then to Jay? Let's go Dave first. I got, I got no opinion on it. <laughs> I, I think Penn State is clearly head and shoulders above everybody in that conference. And I think their challenge is, can they stay engaged? Um, right. Cause that's the, that's the hard part about uh, playing. You heard, I made fun of Dan, was it last week or two weeks ago 
you know, pumping up a team that maybe hasn't even gotten a win yet. And that's the hard part when you're on top and you're clearly uh, have separated yourself from your opponents is how do you keep them engaged and playing hard? Yep. Uh, yeah. The great thing about volleyball is you get to a conference tournament. Yeah. Penn state could lose to NJIT. Let's just say that. So should Penn state win? Yes. Yeah. I, I think they're separated, but I think NJIT is talented enough and they know now on top of that going five, that they just need a little bit of confidence uh, and make a few plays. But um, you know, so I think those guys were in a position to take that and they sent a few things up. Maybe they win that match. So. Yep. And Jay. You know why NGIT can beat that team? Because they didn't have their starting center. NGIT has their starting center. That's a different match. That's my thought. Do wow. they play again at, at Penn State? Yes. Yeah, it's going to be 3-0. I'm calling it right now. 3-0 Ooh. Penn State. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Look at that. Going bold. I like it. Often in a year where too many things don't happen like that, just so you know. No. It's gonna be three zero. I, I, if thank God I can't bet because NCA rules because I would be a degenerate. But I'm calling it three zero. Well, let's look at the anybody episode. who gambles. Hold on, hold on. Anybody who gambles on college sports is an idiot. You know what these kids do on Friday nights and Saturday nights? There's no way if you're a smart individual and you like your money that you're betting money on college sports. Pro. I get it. People want to gamble. I'm I'm not a smart individual. I do like my money, but I'm stupid enough to think I can make more. So I would be a degenerate. <laughs> Let's jump over to the self-proclaimed degenerates conference, the MPSF. Uh, we were... <laughs> I got a segue into the, the, the different segments. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. <laughs> I said self-proclaimed. You, you said it on yeah. screen. So MPSF, we talked in length about the uh one of the matches that's like the usc pepperdine series the split of the series but yep. there are a few things that could affect the outcome of the mpsf and that's the split of that series because you know, your team was one of the top two teams picked uh preseason poll and even the avca poll but what does that mean for the mpsf and uh, uh, yeah, yeah not, we'll just start too, with not too much <laughs> and the reason <laughs> i say not too much is <clears throat> With GCU, us, SC, I mean, every team out there in the MPSF, they're going to beat up on each other, similar to what you're seeing in Leva. Um, and then with so few conference matches now, it was different when we played 22 to 24 conference matches because then things played out. Um, you know, with so few conference matches, it's going to determine who hosts, but that's about it, right? And other than that, you got to play good volleyball because you're going to be facing somebody good uh, in your quarterfinal, semifinal, and then the final. And it doesn't really change from year in and year out um, in terms of that. So it doesn't mean much in terms of, yeah, okay, whoever, you know, hosting is going to be a big deal because I think it, there's a nice little advantage there. But um, I think if it's in Southern California, does that really change things drastically? Not really. Yeah. Uh, anything to add? Other two coaches, Dan or Jay? <clears throat> Outside for show? Nope. Okay, well, let's go to the other piece that was big news. And this isn't gossip talk. I actually saw it on Jerem Jordan's uh, Twitter feed of BYT, BYU TV Sports. But he'd reported that uh, setter Zio Meyer has been dismissed from the team. We mentioned it in the other piece. But uh, for the rest of the semester, so now Bartosz Levinsky, or they call him Bartek, is the starter. Um, big impact for BYU and the MPSF? 
We'll start yeah. with Dan. He's thinking. He's got the, the thinking. Start look with me. Oh, I said Dan. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Sorry, Dan. Um, He's thinking Jay, that hard. Jay popped out really fast. So I just thought he was going. You had to be in terms of that. So, uh, well, I think anytime a guy leaves, there's probably stuff going on uh, inside that we don't know about. Uh, and so I'm not going to speculate um, on how Sean runs his team or what might have happened or any of that stuff. So I respect Sean quite a bit. And certainly they got to run their team in the direction they need to. So uh, I, I'm certainly there's some valid reasons with why that's happening. And uh, as you got to move forward and compete with the pieces you have, that's what Sean does with his group. And, you know, they, they were battling the five and had themselves in a good spot. So Sean's got to feel good about that. And uh, he'll keep pushing where they need to, to make them better. So politically correct answer. Do we like that? So there you go. Yeah. Well, go to Jay for the, un, yeah, the one that's not so politically correct. <laughs> and we'll go to that to Jay then. So he can unpolitically correct it. Now I, I won't speculate either, but I will tell you that, um, you know, there are very few reasons why most teams will release a guy for the season. Uh, and you can, you can pretty much take it from there. So, uh, but I think it also just goes to prove that Dan should give one of his two centers that he has over to BYU so that they yep. can play. And yep. here's the other thing to think about. If Stanford only has what, 12 or 13 guys, imagine if one of their setters was taken out. Now all of a sudden, I mean, they probably are having a hard time scrimmaging as it is, but now imagine if they're shorter even more. So that's crazy. So, yeah. Yep. I'm all for the trade rule. If he wants to trade uh, an outside, we're good. You know what I mean? So, yeah. The transfer portal is really only one step away from that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine Gardini and Mitchum playing next to each other? That'd be pretty good. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right, Dave. Uh, Kudos. I don't know what happened, but kudos to Sean for, for making obviously what was a tough decision. And as we were just talking about, you know, we're still in the business of, of teaching and trying to mold young men. Um, again, I don't know what happened. So uh, hopefully nobody, nobody was uh, hurt in whatever was done in terms of physically or, you know, hopefully there was, uh, hopefully whatever happened to this individual is a good learning lesson. And um, it's going to be a positive going forward. Um, that being said, that team played really hard uh, against Grand, a good Grand Canyon team. So obviously what Sean's doing is, is working there. So, yep. <clears throat> well, I want to get to the fan question. I know we're running really long here. Um, so I want to have you guys pick one or two matches. We're going to maybe one or two fan questions. That's okay. Time-wise, if you can handle let's, it. Let's do more fan questions. Screw more it. fan yeah. questions. All, watch all the lightning matches. round. You watch only want to look at the, the, give... the week nine matches, no, huh? Just watch ah. them. Just watch oh. them all. <laughs> well, okay. All right, guys who are looking forward to their picks, here we go. Good questions. Last week, I, didn't, I only got to two of them. And this week, they're even better. Um, where am I going to start? Let's see. They're listening though, but said here, they wanted more in-depth discussion on changes to coaching actual serving, not the rehash of the quote, have to serve aggressive, blah, 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 blah. We all get that, but things being taught differently have changed and developed in the last couple of years on serving techniques and skills. And they referenced Nikolov's five ace run to turn that set versus Stanford and Wildman's back-to-back aces in the fifth. So who wants to take on the serve, receive and serving? They're not teaching anything different. Those are just some kids that have figured some things out. People out there in Volleyland, if you see a team with all jump floaters win a national championship, then we can have this conversation. Other than that, stop it. 
Just stop Jay it. Hasn't, Jay hasn't watched my team lately. I've got five jump floats and one spin guy. So. And you lost this weekend. And we also won, <laughs> jerk. <laughs> hey, all right, match to watch. In two weeks, when Jake comes to play at our place, we'll see how our jump floats work out. Um, so, all right, and this is an honest-to-God answer. If anybody actually wants to know the math that goes into it, you can email me, and my email is david.hunt at pepperdine.edu. I have no problem saying that because it's on the website. And just like the idiot frat guys that called my office phone at 1030 on Friday night and left me a bunch of voicemails <laughs> and then forgot their name pops up <laughs> on my uh, Pepperdine phone. So, yeah, um, email me. You know, honest to God, it's a long answer in terms of the math that goes into it. But the, the short of it is, you know, on a perfect pass, you're going to first ball side out. I think I've talked about this at 54 percent. And then it goes down, good pass, medium pass. Then you got a bad pass. If you overpass, you're losing that rally 85% of the time and, and so forth. So there's a formula that I have, and I didn't come up with it. People a lot smarter than me came up with it. But basically, if your number is above 54% uh, with that expected first ball number, it means you're missing so much. And you're when it's in, you're not taking them out of system enough that they're actually their first ball number is over a perfect pass. So you probably got to come up with something different if you're not able to knock the opponent out of system at the rate you need to with the amount that you're airing. And there's an analytics number that somebody you know developed for us as well. There, there's actual an, actually an ideal air percent for every server once you get enough data. So there's a nice graph that, that shows, hey, up to this point, now you're not getting any return on investment in terms of their serve. So um I think at least for me, that's the, that's the deal. And I, I'm not a, a proponent of this, Hey, treat every serve the same. I think you got to look at what their passers are like, what rotation they're in. And just like we would never teach uh, a hitter to only hit high flat, right? Hey, you just got to always hit high flat. A different set determines a different shot choice. So a different toss determines a different serve selection. Right. And, um, so I think we got to teach that uh, a little more effectively as coaches, at least from, from a serving perspective. Dan, anything to add on the uh, survey, serve receive discussion? Or serving? Well, I, I think your, your pieces dictate a lot. We talk about this. So like, I mean, you got to have an arm. If you can't jump serve and you're not hitting the ball at a certain speed, then you might as well just roll it over. And so you have to figure out your personnel with what to train them and works effectively for them. I do think every guy should be able to float. And your jump guys got to know how to float as well, because you'll face a team where it's like, hey, like they've said, they're not very good float receiving this rotation. So you want to be able to pick on some things. So your your guys having a couple of different serves, float guys being able to serve short is a lost art a little bit. And that can jam up some big stuff and do some different things where setters got to track the ball and chop guys. You saw Loyola chop us three or four times with pretty good chops and our receive group didn't react well. We don't have a lot of guys chopping in our gym. So that doesn't make us better as a practice as whole because we're not seeing it enough. And so you got to know your personnel pieces. And when it comes to the jump serve, you got to be serving a certain speed to be somewhat effective or have some type of rotation hand movement uh, that makes the ball tail right, tail left, or make some movement stuff. So teaching those things to me, oh, they're fine, but those things have been going on for a while. I do think the debate was about, hey, do you go serve as hard as you can and where does that get you? And we saw Ohio State have some pretty phenomenal arms and players that could put that pace. And the two guys that you just brought up, Nikolai and Brett Wildman, 
have great arms, have played at a high level, and are creating some great opportunities where service receivers aren't seeing those in their own gym. So you see the breakdown there. So I don't think it's necessarily these special training things. I think it's personnel driven off what you're trying to do at times and what they can do for you. So. Here, Rob, here's the, here's the common theme amongst really good servers. Uh, guys that are good servers, they could bend it, they have bite, or they could blast it, right? Usually those are your spin servers. The other one is a float guy that could add spin, so he's got a half-half. He could serve space, or he could hit it with speed. If your guys can do that, um, usually they're pretty good servers. Again, if you want to know more, email me about it. I'll, as long as you don't have a recruitable age kid, I will gladly uh, talk to you about it. You don't have a uh, Wikipedia for your serving stuff there, Dave? Yeah, not so much because it's mainly just crazy talk. Usually I just ramble a lot and talk all about this stuff. So being that half dead coach on the sideline that you referred to earlier. <laughs> well, that's all the things I'm thinking about, about why can't we do these things? And it's mainly, you know, me just being upset at myself or our team. And then I sit there grumpy at our at our side. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next question. Look, Dave, you're like the fan favorite this last week. Oh, great. Last week, Dave talked about how his system has changed every year. Do coaches yeah. recruit to fit their system or find the best volleyball players or athletes and design a system around them? Um, yeah. Who wants to jump in on this one here? <clears throat> I'll go first. Uh, I, I certainly think it's a little bit of a combination. Like there's a systematically like some things that I really like to do and I train and certainly always trying to get better and, and watch and listen at the same time. But I want to recruit personalities that fit our culture. That becomes really important. Um, I think when I first started here, we were just trying to get anybody that wanted to come play for us. And then we got to a point where we were able to be a little bit more picky and it's like, who fits our culture well? Who do I coach well? Who, who's a good relationship with me? And, you know, certainly there are talented guys that fit that mold. And then every once in a while we'll run, run across a talented guy and, he doesn't quite fit our mold. And my guys will be like, Hey coach, he's not a good fit. And it doesn't matter how talented he is. I'm not offering that guy. And so, uh, so there's a balance with that and, and a balance with when you're doing your thing, but you have to be able to change sometimes too. You can't be putting a round uh, peg into a square hole just because you're trying to do something. So you got to be a little bit better about, Hey, what is this guy particularly doing? How do I have to adapt or change a little bit that might make it a little bit better. But I think for you to be successful, there are certainly some certain pieces that you got to have. So, I, I would agree with that. First of all, you can fit a round peg into a square hole. You can't square to fit a square peg into a round hole, but you know, tomato, no. tomato. <laughs> no, I, I think Dan hit on the head. We all have certain things that we like, things that we try to do more often than not, but it also depends on which kids we can get in, which kids want to come, you know, and, and, and maybe we have a run for a couple of years where I've got smaller guys, but we got to figure out different ways to get kills. And maybe we have other years where we have bigger guys and we're able to block and play defense a little bit better. So there's just, it's a combination of all things, which is the beauty of coaching is it's a puzzle every year. And every year we get a chance to try something new and see if we can make it work. Yep. Dave, anything to add? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a base talent level that every coach knows uh, that they need in their gym. Right. And I think we'd all start with good arms. You're not going to go anywhere without a good arm. And when I first started coaching, I went to this coaching clinic in Carl McGowan, right? Marv just pumps him up and says, hey, this is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Talk to him about anything. I said, hey, how do you teach arm swings? And he goes, you just don't recruit bad ones. And I was thinking, <laughs> that's what you got for me, right? That's the genius coaching right there. Um, so that sort of stuck with me. Um, but you got to have a good arm. And then 
I agree with Dan. Once you identify that base talent, then it's what's going to fit into our culture at our university and who's going to get along with our coaching staff. And then once you have that guy, then once they're in your gym, you're coaching your guys up, you're training them. You don't know who's going to develop over those four years. I think we all take educated guesses, but just like the NFL draft, the NBA draft, there's no science to it. We're trying to, to make an educated guess, but we don't, not every guy we recruit is a hit. Um, so then you got to take your seven best at that time and try to create a system that works for them. So when I say that, I don't have one system. I'm not, if there was a magic system, everyone would do it and, and we'd all, you know, be playing the same way. And the reality is, is you got to take what works for your guys, knowing the standards that it's going to take to score, you know, Dan talked about about 19 points, right? That's how many you, you're going to have to earn against a good team. So how am I going to score those 19? Are they all going to be kills? Do I have guys that are scoring quick ones from the service line? Are we going to block them? Are we going to slow them down? How are we going to do that with the group we have? Um, so I think the best coaches are adaptable in that regard. Good stuff. Well, this next question, uh, we kind of went in detail in the beginning, but I'm going to ask it again, just for clarity's sake, and we can address this person who asked it. But is it time to police the players so that we don't see things they name two players, make choke signals from the sideline or watch a particular position who handles the ball, verbally taunt an opponent all match long. The level of chippiness has been getting higher the last few seasons and the stress of COVID is likely having an impact. Where do we draw the line? Coach, Rob, I'll... Control. What's up? I, coach control. Coaches have to control their teams and be aware of what their teams are doing. I've yelled at my sideline a couple of times this year because we have a pretty rowdy bench and uh and it's it's on me you know what i mean i gotta i gotta police my guys and control my guys and you know if they're doing something that's unethical i'm gonna lay into them and let them know and uh it's my responsibility to teach them that certainly we want our bench involved and fiery we want our guys on the court fiery and they might pepper a few things but at some point there's a line drawn and they're going to hear from me or they're not going to be a part of the team or they're not going to play and that's where it's at so i i agree with dan it's I don't want to take away from the competitiveness of the match. I, I do think that that's part of it. And I think that fans, that's part of it too. Having fans that are into it and engaged is good. There's a difference between fans being into it, pulling for their team, getting on our guys, and then a fan yelling out, hey, how's your boyfriend to somebody on our team? That's where I draw the line. And I don't, I just think about the real world, right? What would fly in the real world? Nobody it doesn't fly to walk down the street and make a choking sign to somebody that's not okay. And I think we would all sit there and say, that's not okay. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But it, I think some, some good natured, you know, heckling or razzing about a, you know, why are you wearing a different Jersey? Yeah. I've heard all those before. And if you want to say that to the libero, you don't really know volleyball, but all right, it's funny. So. You know, yeah, the top of my head was Ron Artest running up in the stands and going after that guy. Just so. yeah. There's a there's a reason why I don't pay to go to any sporting event. It's because the fans have taken liberties that I think have gone overboard a little bit. I, I was at a match. In fact, I was coaching a match against Dave's team a couple of years ago, and when the fires were going on in Malibu, um, and I remember uh, somebody in the stands turn around or we're saying something effective, you know, how's your home doing? And, and I literally, while the match is going on, turned around and said, who the F said that, you know, look at me straight in the eye and tell me who the F said that, because that's unacceptable. You're, we're, we're, 
Dan touched it. It's like there, there's a moment in time where it's okay to hear things like you suck and your socks are dirty and, you know, whatever you want to do to, to get in somebody's head. But really, we're, we're losing humanity here. Like, let's, let's remember that we're all in this to be in a competitive sport environment. We want to have fun. We want to play hard and we want to do all that fun stuff. But remember that we're all human beings here for a second. And so saying things like that, it's just, it's, it's unsavory and it's unfortunate. Well, kind of an extension of that same question is it's gone to this, uh, do seeing coaches and they name particular coaches, but I'm not going to do that here. Go at it without repercussions, give permission for players to push the line in the sand a little farther. I, you know what I, again, I'll, I'll respond. I don't know if that was mentioned towards me or not, but um, when I mentioned to Jeff the other night for him to control his side, um again i coached with gary for a long time so i was under the impression that gary and his side didn't want that going on i made that assumption um i don't know if that's the reference to but that being said i do think the guys are gonna going to act how we let them act or they're gonna match what we do right the coaches that tend to be more stoic their teams tend to be more stoic the coaches are more fiery i think their teams tend to be more fiery so uh, I don't know if anybody's, I don't really know what that reference is to, but that's my take on it. I'm trying to think I, in my personal career of 25 years of coaching, I can think of about less than five instances where I had words with an opposing coach. You know what mm. I mean? And I'm, I, I'm not as fiery as Jay, but I'm still pretty fiery. Do you know what I mean? In terms of that, do you know what I mean? And so, uh, in, in most of those instances, I would say, you know, we're just exchanging some words and then usually kind of afterwards, some at some point later we're talking again so shoot the last one i think i can remember is probably uh rick at uc santa barbara we had a group that was pretty fiery back and me and him were at a fall scrimmage one time and had some words across and it was a fall scrimmage and rick's great me and rick are great you know what i mean and so and it was just competitive <laughs> volleyball in terms of that so it's an interesting question because there really hasn't been that many incidents that i can think about where coaches at least in men's volleyball because the community is so tight uh, compared to women's volleyball where there's backstabbing and it's not as high <laughs> all these things that go on. And so uh, where the guys game is kind of like, you know, we're having beers in the summer recruiting and doing stuff and all that. You know what I mean? In terms of, so. Well, and part of that is because there's less teams. Yeah. Who knows if there were more teams, if there'd be more incidents and maybe the fraternity is not quite as uh, tightly knit as it is right now. Like, you know, you know, Dave and I played golf in the summer when we were recruiting this year. It's like, I know all these coaches. I have beers with them when we're out recruiting. I, you know, hang out. They hang out my house. I go to their house. It's, it's a really unique situation. But I wonder if it were bigger, if there'd be less of that going on, or maybe there'd be more clicks going on. But yeah. Well, from an outsider perspective, from the non-coaching fraternity, I mean, from what I can see relationship-wise, all the coaches get along. I mean, there's been maybe one incident I know that there's been tension but you know i think we all know who that is there's just an intense rivalry between the two schools because they're always vying for national championship they're super competitive and you know sometimes the fans kind of egg on that whole situation and actually infuriate a little more but for the most part coaches get along i see you guys working together in summers camps uh on recruiting trips at all the different uh club tournaments like wow there's that whole coaching crew oh there's Cosi, there's, there's fred there's jay you know so it's 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 a good group so uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, everyone's upstanding individuals. They represent their programs well. Hence the reason why I enjoy talking with all of them because you just see the good people running programs. So um, <clears throat> I want to go and end our question, our fan questions there. We have a few more, but they're ones that aren't as pressing because these were more the ones that have been on topic. But I definitely want to give a shout out. I didn't tell you guys about this, but Volley Venue put out this great graphic on Instagram. Overachieving teams this 2022 season, SC, Santa Barbara, Ball State, Lincoln Memorial and St. Francis. But you got to read that clip on there. Go to their Instagram, go to their Twitter, because it's it's pretty lengthy. But I just want to add, I think Stanford should be on there because they came back from being almost eliminated from competition. So just wanted to reference that there. Take a look at it. We'll maybe discuss next week because I, I thought it was a great uh, infographic to uh, put out in the volleyball world. Also, uh, shout out to Michael Christensen, who's playing professionally in Russia. And if you have been under a rock, a war has broken out and it's, you know, I know there's a lot of concern in that area and he's the lone American playing in Russia. If you, the Polish players have messaged and said, you know, we're, we've stopped league play and, you know, same thing, I guess with France as well. So a lot of stuff happening in that part of the world. And uh, we just need to make sure that we keep all of them in our thoughts and prayers because they're too close to the conflict and there's an unnecessary life being lost. So um, with that, you know, we got another week nine coming up here of intense action. Hawaii goes in action to UCSC. So we'll see some big West play. Uh, I think Jay's coming. Jay and Dan, I think you're coming westward, aren't you? If I remember off the top of my head. Well, I'm hoping I'm here at week 10. So hopefully I see you guys next week. Oh, someone uh, cut out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Dave's leaving. <laughs> Dave's already gone. He left. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we go out to Cal. No, we got to Hawaii next week, not this week, the following week. So. Yep. Yeah, the great spring migration starts this weekend for some teams. Uh, we go out there the following week and pick up SC, Pepperdine, and UC Irvine. Yep. Well, I know if we're going to get Dave back, but I want to thank Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Jay Hoslick of George Mason, and Dan, friend of Lewis. I wish you the best this week in your matches as we are getting into conference play and over that halfway point. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thanks. Yeah.